You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. If you are thinking of going to the Final Four in Minneapolis and you need tickets, then you definitely need to check out SeatGeek. It is going to be the best place to go and get tickets for the Final Four or for any other event. Maybe there's an NBA game or a concert that you want to go to. SeatGeek is the place to go. You know, for a long time, buying tickets has been really difficult and annoying with a few big companies who don't really care about the customer. But SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. They are focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and they display them on an interactive seat map so that it is simple for you to find what you're looking for. Green dots are good deals, and red dots are overpriced. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets, and that's why it's easy for me to recommend it to you. Best of all, listeners to the assembly call get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So, you know, SeatGeek supports the show. We really appreciate that. You should go support them in part because they support us and in part because you'll get a great deal uh, on your tickets, which is what you really want. Use our promo code assembly for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code assembly for $10 off your first purchase. All right. Now on with this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, and that is talking hoops. This is the 22nd edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 507th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of April 1st, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. This week's banner moment occurred in the early evening hours on Sunday when Michigan State secured its spot in the Final Four. The Spartan victory initiated an inevitable storm of tweets and message board posts from IU fans summing up the maddening reality of the 2018-19 Hoosiers. Indiana was good enough to beat the Big Ten champion and maybe national champion Spartans twice, yet bad enough to still miss the NCAA tournament. Those two games, each won by the slimmest of margins, were everything this season could have been, surrounded by everything it ultimately was not. But as we move away from this season and start looking ahead to next season in earnest, it's worth at least pondering if anything that happened in those two games means anything for the program moving forward. Or are they destined to just be an empirical oddity when Hoosier minds wander back to the bewilderment of 2019? And I think, yes, there are some elements of those games that could mean something moving forward. In fact, next season's success depends on it. Because while Indiana was a team dominated all season by its two-star players, Romeo Langford and Juwan Morgan, 
Indiana was able to earn its two biggest wins of the season because its other players took their star turns. Sure, Romeo was huge in the win at Michigan State, scoring 19 inefficient but essential points, but Jawan Morgan only played 13 minutes. Indiana won because Justin Smith delivered a 13-10 double-double and blocked three shots, and because Al Durham scored 14 points, and Devontae Green scored 11 with five assists, and Deron Davis delivered a 12-6-4 line. And in the home win, the difference was even more stark. Romeo and Jawan racked up numbers and some important plays because they are good players and played 73 combined minutes, but the game was won on the back of Justin Smith's supernova offensive outburst and Rob Finnessy's outstanding on-ball defense. And of course, Devontae's timely shooting. As you know, Romeo and Juwan will be gone next year. They were imperfect players, yes, but the attention they demanded, their willingness to shoulder a massive load, and the consistency of their production over the course of a long season will be missed. Without them, if Indiana is going to show growth for the third straight year under Archie Miller, which unequivocally means making the NCAA tournament, then returning but inconsistent veterans like Devontae, Duran, Al, Rob, and especially Justin will have to step up and become responsible for the usage and production that is being lost, and they will have to do it with a more prominent place in opposing scouting reports. Such is the circle of life in college basketball. On the concerning side, each player will enter next season with major question marks attached to his name, and with plenty of evidence in his history that leads us to question his readiness for an increased role. But on the optimistic side, we'll always have those wins against Michigan State and the method by which they were acquired, which was not a mirage. It was talented young players playing up to the level of their ability and up to the magnitude of the moment. Moving forward, such performances have to become the expectation, not the exception. Hopefully, each guy enters next season ready for the challenge. All right, and joining me this week on Banner Monday, as he always does, well, usually does, to help out with the Banner Monday mailbag, it is Ryan Phillips, columnist for the big lead, host of The Hangover. He uh, should be here momentarily. Uh, and we will answer your questions. Got a lot of good ones. And then coming up after that, Mike DeCourcy for his final Big Ten roundup of the season, as this will be our final edition of Banner Monday for the year. Mr. Phillips, are you with us? I, I would certainly hope so. Am I here? You are. You are All here. Right. It's good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Season's over, but, you know, we've got some uh, some things to talk about for the offseason. Season, doesn't it feel like the loss to Wichita State was a long time ago? <laughs> I yeah, feel like really that does. was like three weeks ago already. I know. It was know. just Tuesday. Uh, um, I guess the the latest news, if we have any, is that the Indiana is showing interest in Jalen Wyndham from Ben Davis. Yeah, uh, I think that he's a shooter and a, um, you know, like a six-five sort of wing guard kind of guy who who can certainly. Uh, put the ball in the hoop, but he's he's shot about thirty seven percent this year from three. So that's an interesting development. He's not a top tier recruit. He's a three star. Maybe I think let's see on the composite, he's ranked like four thirty nine. Um, but you know, he's also that was the last time the ranking was done was months ago, and he had a pretty good senior senior year. Uh, he was going to head to Georgia State to play for Ron Hunter, but Ron Hunter is headed to Tulane. That has put him back on the market. A couple teams are interested in him. A couple bigger sized teams that haven't filled out their classes yet are interested. So uh, that's an interesting development. Um, again, with with the transfer of of Clifton Moore, that opened up a spot on the roster that I think everybody thought was going to be open. Uh, when Romeo, if slash when Romeo declares for the draft, that'll open up a second spot. So they'll have two open roster spots for next year. I'd assume at least one will be a transfer and potentially two. So um, they're probably dotting their eyes, crossing their T's with with Wyndham to get him on campus and and see what they think of him in person. But 
certainly interesting development that they're they're sort of pushing for another shooter and uh, according to Wyndham that was what uh, I think it was Ed Schilling contacted him and that's what he says we need shooters so uh, clearly we do that need is, that <laughs> clearly that's the mentality from Archie and company this offseason I think they might you know if a big man is out there there have been whispers about Joey Bronk in Indiana um, if that app I don't know if that's going to happen or not but uh, certainly Joey it, Brunk is on campus right now as we speak. Yeah, as it's, we're talking, it, you know, and whether or not they take him uh, is going to be interesting. But uh, again, you know, uh, there's no harm in exploring these possibilities. I think people are sort of like, why are they going after Joey Brunk? Well, bringing him on campus, getting to know the kids, seeing what, you know, he sees in his future of his, of his game with the program. You know, it, there's no harm in getting these kids on campus and talking to them and, and looking them in the eye and, and deciding what they want to do. Um, and I think that's the same, you know, mentality with one. Then they bring him in. Maybe they think he's not as good as uh, a player as they need. Maybe they just turn the page. But it's 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 worth reaching out. It's worth contacting. It's worth getting kids on campus and see how they fit in. Yep. And actually, this leads right into the first questions that we got. We got several questions about Brunk. Uh, Bruce asked, "Is I you have a shot for Joey Brunk?" Certainly, he's on campus right now, uh, walking around with Archie Miller. Our buddy Joel from the chat mob was tweeting out some pictures of those guys. Um, what other players are on your wish list for recruits next year? Uh, as you just mentioned, Wyndham is a guy that is getting some interest. You know, we've talked about you know guys like Trendon Watford and Harlan Beverly and Lester Quinones in the class Trend, of think, 2019. Let's see think, if any of those guys get visits before we get too excited but yeah. you know jeff rabjohns did report that there's communication and they're talking about possibly doing an in-home visit so i'm just kind of waiting to see if any with trendon i'm just yeah, kind of waiting to see if any of those things actually develop before getting too excited about them but yes you know those uh, are those are the possibilities in the class of 2019 still yeah i think uh i think the big one for me is i think everybody would love if trendon watford came if trendon watford came that would be a home run for everybody just you know He's a, he's a member of the family. Let's put it that way. I remember going to games when when Christian was there and seeing Trendon and his big fro on the court after games. You know, I'm thinking this kid's going to be large. You know, I mean, because he was so young at that point, but you could just tell he's going to be a big guy. Like Josh also, Smith, always part of the IU family. Always part of the IU family. Uh, but you know, it was great that that, that Christian's family could be at a lot of those games because they're not from Indiana. You know, but still, you'd see him at a lot of the games. Um, somebody asked me this: you know, is it concerned that Clifton and VJ Blackman transferred? And VJ Blackman, let's remember, he's a walk-on, and he probably went to Indiana to up his profile if he wanted to play somewhere. You know, and probably figured, well, maybe I'll get a shot if they're down. I'll get a shot to play. He never really played, um, but you know, it probably upped his profile a little to be a transfer from Indiana to maybe a smaller school uh, to get a chance to play. And and certainly, VJ should transfer if he thinks he has a chance to play somewhere else because he wasn't going to get on the court here. Uh, so that one really is not concerning. You see walk-ons transfer all the time because they get a chance to play elsewhere. Um, as for Clifton, I, I think we all loved Clifton's potential. But he never worked his way onto the court. And I think everybody wishes him well going to find a place. And, and you know, his place is at a smaller school where he'll get minutes and maybe develop. And he could develop into a really great player, but it's going to take time. And he's going to take time on the floor. And Indiana isn't a place where you learn on the job on the floor. You're not going to get 20 minutes a game to learn at IU in Big Ten play. You have to win games at yeah. Indiana. And so no, that, that is not a concerning tra if Rob Finnessy transferred, right. that would be a concerning transfer. Right. I, I'm just saying that, you know, because a lot of people were talking about, well, when he was a freshman, he was on draft boards. And it's like, yeah, uh, based on potential, but he never developed. And and I think that he needs to go somewhere and it's best for him. I think that everybody here would say you know, everybody on the show would say, and I think I'm sure the coaching staff would say this kid needs to play. 
uh, to get yeah. better. And he's not going to play here right now. So unless he has just an unbelievable um, offseason of some kind. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that that both of those are good transfers and you wish both those kids well. Absolutely. Because uh, if they get a chance to play elsewhere, that's a big deal. Hold that thought because I want to get back to that topic okay. real quick to answer Sally, Sally's question about uh, Joey Brunk. Is he eligible right away? Yes, he will have two years of eligibility, but he did graduate. So he would be a grad transfer who could play two years. Uh, the rare grad to go. Played two years. That's how Zeisloft was. He he was a yep. grad transfer who played yep. two years. So and he's just like that, you know, which is part of why Brunk is really valuable, I think, would be a valuable yeah. get. And it may not be that his his biggest contributions would be next year. It would be potentially the year after, because again, you're you're gonna have some good front court pieces next year, but then Deron Davis will graduate. How long is Trace Jackson Davis going to be around? You know, I mean, I, I think Trace Jackson project him at least I, a I, two, three, four. Year I agree. Point. I agree. But you never know. I mean, that that's the thing is you don't know. And so uh, having an extra guy there uh, in the front court would really help. And then the 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 question with Brunk is, can he step out on the floor? Can he actually become a shooter? Uh, can he develop, you know, the ability to play inside out? I mean, I know he's a big guy, but can he develop the the ability to step on the floor where you can play him with a Deron Davis, with a Trace Jackson Davis, as opposed to just, you know, maybe shuttling in one or two of those guys at the same time? Uh, can he be on the floor with those guys? And I think that that's that's the next part of his game. If you watch Brunk play, that has to develop. He's got to be able to step out on the floor. Yeah, and again, you know, you talk about wish list, a big guy to provide you depth and insurance with Deron Davis. We've talked a lot about a wing score. Indiana really needs a wing score. And then another another lead ball handler. You would love to have another guy who can be your quote-unquote point guard behind Rob Finnessy as insurance for Rob Finnessy so that if anything happens to him or just for the minutes he doesn't play, you're not trying to fit Devontae Green and Al Durham into that because that's not where they're at their best. So right. if if somehow you could get those three things, it would be a perfect off season. You right, probably and probably got to at least get two of them. Right, and what I would say uh, is, as far as Armand Franklin fits into that puzzle, I think he can be the bank, the backup ball handler. Um, I don't know if he's there yet, but with a great off season, I think he could be. And therefore, I think that point guard sort of falls down the list of things you need uh, as a primary ball handler. But it's going to depend on Armand going to work. And Armand is a hard worker. He's a bulldog. And he's the kind of guy, you know, you remember how when Rob was getting recruited, everybody was like, well, he's going to be Archie Miller's extension on the floor because they're the exact same guy. You know, like they have the same mentality. Armand's like that, too. He's, he's, a, he's a bulldog. And he may have played as a combo guard in high school because he needed to, but I don't see that being his role at the next level. He can score, he can shoot, but I, and he can finish at the rim. But I see him in the same way I saw Rob, as a guy who can come in and be steady at that place, has good vision, can move the ball around, and, and be a guy who can handle the ball without turning it over. Of course, he's going to be a freshman next year, so you never know. If you get a grad transfer senior who can play point guard and shoot the ball, yeah, you take that. And a guy who can be on the floor. We, we've seen that Rob Finnessy is good at being on the floor with other guards, whether they're ball handlers or not. So it'll fit. Um, I would say, but but if we're looking at the top two needs, I would say a wing scorer, as you said, and, and potentially another big guy. And the wing scorer aspect really gets a lot less of a priority if Jerome Hunter is healthy. Which is a big if. Big uh, if. Kurt said, if Brunk transferred, wouldn't he have to sit out of here? No, because he's no. a grad transfer. Grad transfers can play right away. I think people are just confused because he's only played two years and he's a grad transfer. And that's the thing is a lot of these kids, when they're smart, knock out a bunch of classes in high school, don't have as many credits to take when they get on campus, take those credits, get it out of the way, and then they can transfer. 
Yep. All right. So Michaels asks, when a player transfers, does he make the decision or does the coaching staff lay out the options? I'm sure every situation is different. Yes. It is. Every situation is different. But typically the way that these things will start is all coaches and players are going to have exit interviews at the end of a season. And the players will talk about their feelings on the season and the coaches will talk about their feelings. And more importantly, talk about expectations moving forward. Now, have there been cases of a coach, quote unquote, running a player off? Yes. Of course that has happened. But typically what happens is not something that nefarious. It's more probably like what happened with Clifton Moore, I would guess. And I have no knowledge of this, but I would guess it went something like, Clifton, I'm sure that you're disappointed in how much you played. And Clifton probably agreed that he wanted to play more for the last two seasons. And Archie giving him an honest assessment of where he sees him in the pecking order and how many minutes he thinks he can probably get, what role he sees for him, giving him an honest evaluation of it, and then letting Clifton decide, okay, you know, my coach sees me as a five to seven minute a game guy next year. Is that what I want to be? Maybe I should go seek an opportunity elsewhere. And I think if you have a good, honest coach, he will be honest and upfront with players about what their role is. And if that's going to be the case, you should have some transfers because not everybody, when you have 13 scholarships, is going to play as much as they like. So they're not going to they want to hear in that exit interview. No, and you would want to have a coach like that. Everything that we know about Archie suggests that that is the type of coach that he is. Um, And so I would think that you'll probably see transfers away from Indiana, uh, but hopefully they'll be on good terms where it's like, hey, I appreciate the coach telling me exactly what he thinks. I gave it a shot here. Let me go somewhere else. That's maybe a better opportunity. And I think for the most part, that is how it happens. That's certainly how it should happen. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, the, the running people off, it does happen in college basketball. The place it happens the most is college football because you can bring in 25 guys every year. And if you bring in that mass of guys, you know, when you can bring in 25, you offer 70 and sometimes you wind up getting, you know, maybe you have 23 scholarships open. Sometimes you fill that class of 25. You got to get rid of two guys before the season starts. So you run guys off. You have them sign medical retirements. You tell them basically you're transferring or we're going to push you out. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of that at Indiana. I know Grant Galon's situation was different because he didn't fit what Archie was doing. Archie didn't recruit him. So I kind of forgave him a little for that because it was not Archie's player. And, and he wasn't somebody who fit. They said, hey, you can stay here on scholarship, but you're not going to play or you can leave. And and um, that was kind of a guy getting run off. I think it, that it happens more at Duke where you got to run off Trevon Duvall and Gary Trent to bring in your next uh, class of one and dones. Um, but, you know, that happening at Indiana, it's not something that should happen in Indiana. But I think you have to forgive Archie for that just based on the fact that he was new. That was a roster spot he wanted open. He did not that was not a guy that he had recruited or would ever use. And so I think that that was the, the situation behind that. I don't expect Archie to run guys off now. I, I, I don't because now it's his roster. Essentially it's his roster. He, he, he'll have Deron Davis and, and Devonte green are the only guys who aren't really his next year. The other guys he recruited and, and, and you can say Justin Smith, whether or not he wanted him or not, or, or whatever, and make those excuses. But he did recruit Justin Smith. He went out and told Justin Smith to come to Indiana. He told Al Durham to come to Indiana. He told Clifton Moore to come to Indiana. So while that's not a full recruiting class for him, and it was a last-minute thing, and he probably needed to keep those guys, uh, those are his. And, and so now you're going to enter next year with 
Archie Miller's roster, basically. You can't you can't make any excuses for his roster next year. Devontae nope. Green may not be the player he wants uh, at that spot, but he's had him for three. He'll he'll be in his third year with him, so you can't really make that excuse anymore. Yeah, the only thing that you could say is maybe the, those aren't guys that he would have recruited. And again, Perfect. that's why it's, right. you know that, that's why you do. You know, it's nice to see a coach be able to get through, and and you do have to earn it. You don't just get given it, but it's nice to see a coach get through four or five years, so you do get to see a right. full a roster full of guys roster. that just he recruited. But yes, each year that you get removed from the previous coaching staff, you know those explanations um, fall go away. away. Sure. Uh, all right. So this question submitted by Sean Miller. S-H-A-W-N, okay. but the question is, watching Virginia play pack line defense shows it can be effective. What does IU need to do to get to that level? Okay, just Sean Miller. Just keep developing the system. I mean, keep, keep you know, because the pack line is different than what a lot of these guys have played. And and it is, there are different philosophies. There are different responsibilities. There's different, you know, it, it's just, it's different. It's the same as Virginia's offense. Virginia's offense is very different than anything you're going to run. And to give Tony Bennett credit, he changed it up a little bit this year to make it so if they are behind, they can actually switch things up and come back in games, uh, which was not the case the last couple of years. So kudos to him. They're in the final four because they've changed their philosophy. And they have the third most efficient offense this year. Last year, it was like 30. Yeah, right. And, and, and that's the thing is that now he's actually willing to like let guys go on the break and let guys kind of freelance a little, whereas... The pat the the mover blocker or blocker mover some people call it offense does not let you do that. You are very strict in your system, and you have to hit your shots. If you don't hit your shots, you're losing. Uh, the thing is, he's had very efficient shooting over the last few years, so that's how Virginia gets good. But the one game the shooting abandons them, they lose, and that's why I always said, you're in in the tournament, you're going to face teams that get hot. Look at Auburn. Auburn has just been hot, and and when you get when you face a team that gets hot, guess what? You better speed up and match or you're done. And when you have a slowdown offense that only slows down and relies on efficient shooting, if that shooting goes away and you're not hitting, you know, a lot of you, when you have a low level, uh, low number of possessions, the other team scoring a lot, you better be hitting almost all your shots. And when that, that shooting goes away, that's when Virginia would run into trouble. Now they allow their guys to freelance. They allow a little more screen and roll. They allow a little more, you know, ball moving on the perimeter. I know this is a complete, you know, left turn from the question, but uh, it's, it's a matter of, and I think it relates to Indiana too. You have to adjust what you're doing uh, and, and have backup plans in place. Now, the thing about Tony Bennett is his dad, Dick Bennett is the one who developed the offense and relied on it and made it, you know, work. And so his offense is, uh, was of course, super tied into being stringent with that offense because he believed it and he grew up in it and he played in it. It was Wisconsin Green Bay. As for the defense, it's the same thing. You have to be able to pressure guys. You have to be able to pressure the ball, uh, but you have to all be on the same page as far as responsibilities go. And you saw a lot of the freshmen this year when they get in there, even Race Thompson, who I think is a very heady player and has been in the system for, for two years now, he'd get lost on defense every once in a while. And the reason why is because your responsibilities in this defense are different than your responsibilities in a straight man-to-man or man-help defense. It's way more predicated on helping on the drive. It's way more predicated on keeping everybody out of the paint. You don't want guys to go... A lot of man-to-man defense, you want to force guys baseline and then cut them off there. In the pack line, you want to force them back into the middle, not baseline. The reason why is because you're always supposed to have help there. And so you're forcing them into the help at every opportunity and that means that there's more guys there but the problem with that is too is you have to get used to and you see virginia do it really well 
you got to recover to shooters. And Virginia recovers to shooters as well as any defense in the country. It's unbelievable how well they recover to shooters. I would say Texas Tech is probably second in that regard. They do not leave open shooters. And if they do, it's because somebody made a mistake. And so you have to get used to closing out hard, but closing out hard under control so then you can, if the guy decides to drive, feed them into the help instead of getting beaten one-on-one so no fake hustle as coach says yeah, it's it's con it's it's complicated and it's a lot of drilling down and it's a lot of defensive work to get it to work but when it works you see what virginia can do defensively you see what other pack line teams can do defensively when you have those guys in that system that are ready and you'll see too virginia doesn't play a lot of young guys they play all their you know it's seniors juniors soft uh, deandre hunters a redshirt sophomore he's their best player He's a redshirt sophomore. He's been in the system for three years, and you look at what they can do. That's why the veteran teams with the pack line are the better ones. And this was a very young Indiana team this year, and they still played well defensively. And one thing when you watch Virginia, watch how well they communicate. Watch how much yep. they talk on the court. And that's something that we didn't see enough of from Indiana. Look, there's the a most, reason. The most noticeable parts of what Virginia do, just piggyback on what you said, is you can see them talking. Just mute it and watch them. And yep. they're constantly talking. And the other thing that is really amazing about what they do is how they close out to shooters, but under control. They don't go blazing by shooters. You don't see them bite on pump fakes or anything like that. They close out right in a shooter's face and then are ready to back up and, and, and play defense off the drive. So watch that when you're watching them in the Final Four this weekend. Watch how well they communicate. As you said, Jared, it's a great point. They talk constantly. They have great leadership on the court for it. And then, of course, their ability to defend and, and close out to shooters and then defend it's why they're annually one of the best teams in the country at, at defending the three-point line even though the myth exists that they don't do it well they do it's also why again we've said this class of 2020 ethan morton it's why he is such an important recruit because the one thing everybody says about him he communicates more on defense than anybody i've ever seen he would be a really big get the other thing to remember and we've mentioned this before most pack line teams, you really see a jump defensively in the third year. A lot of times the offense comes in the fourth or fifth year where you really see the big gains. Look at Virginia, 71st in adjusted defensive efficiency in each of Tony Bennett's first two years, then fifth, 25th, fourth, second, seventh, second, first, fifth. And this isn't to say that Archie teaches it the same way and that Indiana is going to follow the exact same trajectory as Virginia. But if you look at other programs that run the pack line, the first two years are often a little bit underwhelming, and then it's like there's this jump, and it's like, oh, man, the defense clicked. And you've yeah, got and guys that are in it. There's some institutional knowledge, and things are much better. So that's and why, like, I know we get impatient, and I know these first two years have been frustrating, but really the fact that Indiana's defense improved as much as it did the first year and then to the second year, there were real gains there that are easy to overlook. And if the same trajectory follows, Indiana could should make another jump defensively next year. Yeah, and I think if you look at it too, you have to drill the defense so hard in the beginning to get guys out of those other habits and get them into the pack line habits that there's that the offense doesn't get as much time as it maybe should uh, in practice time. You have limited practice time, and so that tracks that once you're comfortable in the defense, you can drill the offense a little bit more. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's kudos see. To Tony, by the way, kudos to Tony Bennett since we're on the subject of, yep. you know, taking all that criticism last year. I was a guy who criticized him like crazy. And I had in the past, too, because I thought their system was not um, was not 
pliable enough for the tournament. In the tournament, you are going to run into crazy stuff, and you got to be able to change what you're doing, change your philosophy. But you criticized the offense, not the defense. It was the offense. Right. That no, you it was always more offense. than anything. Def- I've always said their defense is unbelievable. With the offense, the problem was he was very set in his system. And in your system, that system works when everything's going well. When everything goes to hell, it's a problem because that's a team. It's like it's like a, it, it would be like in football having a team that runs the wishbone option nowadays and playing uh running into a spread team that runs up the score on you and then you've got to get back in the game and then you have to try and pass the ball. You know, it, it's if you're that set in the wishbone offense, you can't, that's a hard offense to play from behind with, you know, in in football. It's the same thing in basketball. You can't play from behind in a system that it's only answer to a game speeding up is to just continually slow it down and slow it down and slow it down and slow it down. Those possessions become way more valuable. And and that's a problem. If your team, you know, has an off shooting night or faces a team that goes nuclear, like we've seen Auburn do this last week. So I don't know if you saw, but uh, apparently Kentucky has offered John Calipari a lifetime contract in response to UCLA's lucrative offer. Yeah. uh, John Calipari had, Absolutely no interest in UCLA. That's crap. That was his agent putting that out there. So Kentucky offered him smart, <laughs> smart, oh, smart by smart. them. Yeah, what? What do you think is going to happen with Chris Beard? And do you think it's possible that he ends up at UCLA? Because he's I mean, obviously UC- the hot name after what's happened this year. Here's the thing: I've been saying all season that UCLA should throw whatever they have at Chris Beard. I've been saying that since December, um, and, and the reason why is because he's a guy who goes in and builds a program and, and it develops it quickly and puts an emphasis on defense, but also efficient offense. UCLA has always been a flashy team. When Ben Hallen was there, a guy who relied hold, solely on defense, the fans there hated it, even though he took them to three Final Fours or something like that. At least he, they were in the finals back-to-back years, I believe. or No, finals in the Final Four. Um, and I think he went to three Final Fours. But they hated it because it was a slow And they had down. great players. I mean, they had Westbrook yeah. and Kevin Love and all these guys. Yeah, and it was a slowdown team that focused on defense. And the problem is, is that in LA, a lot of the kids you're recruiting want to play up tempo, want to play fast, want to you know play AAU ball. And and um, so I don't know how Chris Beard would fit there. I don't know if he'd want to go either. I mean, it's a it's a very right now the fan base is kind of in a malaise. It's uh, a lot like USC football right now. People are frustrated uh, when the team isn't great. They rip on the team when the team's good. It's 50-50 that they'll show up. You know, I mean, they have to be really good for the team to show up. They showed up a lot when Lonzo Ball was there because that was entertaining. That was a guy who was really entertaining. But in general, you have to be really good to get people to go. And, and it's the same for USC football. USC football has that, you know, 100,000 seat stadium. And, you know, you get 60,000 game. That's pretty good for college football. It looks empty. You know, I mean, when there's 60,000 people there, and it's the same with Pauley Pavilion. It looks empty all the time, no matter how excited the students are. You got to get the other people to come. I'm not I'm not sure if what Chris Beard is building at Texas Tech to him is more important than that. Um, I'm sure that there's a chance I've heard that Texas might come calling, uh, but Texas appears to be set with Shaka Smart to, to give him another year. Um, we saw Texas A&M just go after uh, Buzz Williams. Looks Buzz like Williams. that's a done deal. And it's been rumored for a long time that Buzz was going to go to one of the Texas schools ever since he was at Marquette. So that's not surprising. Um, so I don't know. I, we'll see with Chris Beard. Um, the fact that he lost his five top scores and has his team in the Final Four this year is unbelievable. And that is who I have said for a long time, UCLA should be throwing tons of money at him. Um, but I'm not sure that's where they want to focus. And and if they don't focus on him, if they don't at least make a run on him, everybody in the athletic department should be fired. That's the top job available, and they should go after him. Even if he says, what's the worst he can do? Say no. 
Um, there are other options out there. Luke Walton's going to be available. He's a great coach, but he's not fitting with the Lakers. He's going to be the fall guy for this season, even though he doesn't deserve it. Um, I know that some people in LA want them to, to hire Luke Walton. Some people out there want him to hire Earl Watson. Um, so I don't know what's going to end up shaking out there, but if they don't make Chris Brand, Chris uh, Beard their top priority and go after him with everything they got, it, it's malpractice at this point. If worse comes to worse, you rehire Steve Alford, run it back. Yeah, okay. I mean, we can't go wrong. <laughs> All right, Ryan. People final... are saying they're going to go after Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett would hate that job. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Obviously, we will continue to have Assembly Call Radio all throughout the season, but this will be your last appearance here on Monday because we're not going to be doing this until the new season starts again. But final thoughts? Oh, so sad. Uh, we'll, we'll do a banner Monday if something big happens, though, I assume, right? I yeah, mean, we'll do special edition episodes every now sure. and then, as we always do. But Just let me know ahead of time because uh, you told me the other day that we were done with Banner Monday, and then I got a Twitter alert this week that was like, hey, we got our final banner. I was like, I thought the last one was our final. Okay. You told me on the show last week before we went live that we weren't doing it anymore. I mean, oh. I'm fine with it. I just you said you said we were done for the season. You may not you may have met done for the season after Monday, but you did say done for the season, so I assumed done for the season. See, but, who are people going to trust here? Me or the guy who has proudly claimed that he never listens to anything that happens on the show? I re-listened to that show, so <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was before we went on the air. So, uh, anyway, no, always happy to be here. Love you guys. Thanks for watching. Cool. See you, man. Later. All right. Coming up on the assembly call, it is time for our final Big Ten roundup of the season with Mike DeCourcy. We'll put a bow on Indiana's 2019 season and then discuss the thrilling Elite Eight performances delivered by Purdue and Michigan State over the weekend. That and more. Stick with us here on the assembly call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to take a look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. There's no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten Hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. What a weekend of college basketball we were just treated to. Yeah, you know, I I, I spent the last... I, I went to Columbia for Sunday's games, uh, Virginia, Oklahoma, and Duke central florida ucf and then i was in louisville and i don't know what it is like the fairy dust pixie dust magic dust that's following me around but uh if it's me that's doing it uh <laughs> then minneapolis is going to be amazing because i mean I, I i did i did my 30th tournament i think two years ago and so we did a list of the top 30 games in my that i covered not they were in the tournaments but that i was actually at in those 30 years and in the space of seven days i got three probably that would bump out top 10 uh, games it was it was amazing it was amazing all right we'll hold that thought because we are going to get to that let's talk real quick about indiana kind of put a bow on the season the hoosiers it seems like weeks ago lost to wichita state in the nit it was just last tuesday but the season came to an end how will you remember the 2018-19 indiana basketball season if at all i suppose well, I mean, I guess if you remember it, it, it you remember it as a disappointment. Uh, they were 12-2 and two, uh, coming into the heart of the Big Ten season. Got some injuries that they couldn't manage and and were unable to find an alternative uh, to to playing big with Deron Davis, to having Robert Finnessy as point guard. Got in a really bad way uh, and, and wound up 
in, 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 and did it at the in the wrong season because they to 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 be not good enough in this particular Big Ten season meant you were going to have a difficult time getting off the deck. Uh, we saw that with Illinois early. We saw that with Penn State, which had a, a fair non-conference and then a disastrous start to its league season. So Indiana was not alone in that. Uh, but then when they got it together, they they had a chance still at an NCAA tournament bid because of the couple big wins they had. And then in what was basically a showdown game, maybe elimination game is too strong a word, uh, but it it was something on the, it was either a showdown game or elimination game or something, and they did not compete at the level they needed to compete for 34 minutes maybe. Uh, and then they did compete at that level for the final six, but that didn't get it done. So, you know, as you go around and you watch these teams that played in the Elite Eight, I mean, the best of the best in college basketball, what are the biggest differences between those teams and those programs and Indiana right now? Like, is it a talent thing? Is it a culture thing? Like, what, what are the biggest differences? What does Indiana need to get to the level of those teams? Well, I think it, I think that it, you can't say it's a talent thing because, I mean, you played Purdue. You know what they look like. Uh, and and they and Purdue could just as easily be playing today or, or you know active today I guess would be a better word uh, as they are inactive now they could just as easily be so I don't think that's necessarily the case I think that I think that when you say culture I, I think that you have to have a coaching staff whose message is worth buying and then you have to buy it and I think that uh, certainly Archie Miller's success in the past suggests that his message is worth buying, but I don't think that there was complete buy-in uh, at the Indiana this season from top to the bottom of the roster. And I, and I don't think that, uh, I, I don't think that you could find many players at Purdue who did not buy in. Uh, you might be able to find a few, but they weren't playing on Saturday. Uh, they, there was from the guys who were playing, I mean, I, I don't see how you can say it's talent when a guy like Grady Eifert is out there playing meaningful minutes in the lead eight game uh, and making, you know, and, and making an impact. Uh, it wasn't his greatest game ever, but he almost, you know, he almost saved the victory for them uh, with the offensive rebound late in the game. Uh, so I, I think that uh, you have to look at it as, as a, a process though. I mean, uh, you know, Matt hit on his first class. With that, you know, with that group that had Jawan Johnson and Etwan Moore and Robbie Hummel and 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 you know and and uh, Scott was Scott Scott Martin that ended up leaving and yeah. great class, incredible class, and uh, and that wasn't really his first first class, but it, you know what 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 people don't remember is the way that transitioned. You know, Gene spent his last year coaching. Purdue and Matt spent that year on the bench, on effectively on the staff. And his role was to do whatever Gene needed him to do, but mostly to get ready for the next year. So it wasn't the, it wasn't a typical transition. It wasn't what you get now where you walk in the door and, you know, and you've got, you know, let's say here in the state of Indiana where you legit have, you know, five plus high major players in every class. And anyone who knows Indiana basketball or knows recruiting knows that when you get hired in March, and you walk in; those players are mostly ready to go to to some other, you know, to some other school. If Indiana was in with those players, 
it, the people who left were the ones who were in. So now you're out of the picture. And if you weren't in the picture, how do you get in it? So that's that's the part of it that people don't understand. That's the part that people don't understand about what went down at Vanderbilt when he had a terrible season, uh, Bryce Drew, and gets fired for going 0-18. But he'd only been there for three years. And what could he do in three years to change the culture of the program? Well, when we made the tournament the year before or two years, and we had 19 wins. Yeah, but they, you had no talent in your bottom classes. You had none. So he had to come and completely replenish that. And then he loses the most important player of that, and you don't expect there to be an impact. Well, they're, they're, they're now you know, fishing out from underneath that. Uh, and I, 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 Rick Bozich, who, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we both know him and we know people close to him and, um, <laughs> love Rick Bozich. Yes, he's great. And he did a wonderful job on a column that he wrote last week where he looked at the sweet 16 and he averaged out how many years each of the coaches was there. And also, I mean, you look at guys like Leonard Hamilton and look at how many years he was at Florida state before he made the tournament. Now, I know Florida State's not Indiana, and, and, and Indiana doesn't – although Indiana may aspire to be where Florida State was last weekend, they don't aspire to have Florida State's basketball program, and they shouldn't. But you have to have something – it takes some time to build something into something special. And it's a process that you can't – you're not always going to get immediate results. It, you know, there are ways to do it immediately they usually result in you not having a successful program, but more so maybe having a successful team for a short period of time. If this is going to go right, he needs to continue to do what he's done over the last few years, which is start here in the state of Indiana and get really good high school basketball players in, interested in Indiana again. And what's he done in that department? Well, he got Robert Finnessy. Uh, he got Demisey, uh, He got, ultimately, he got Romeo. And then in this next class, he's got Trey. So it's, it, it's making progress. It's working. And all, you have to give it some time to work right. And that's, that's, it, it, that's the message that you have to take out of this year. It should have been better. Uh, there, were, you know, there weren't many breaks in making it better. But at the end, you have to look at it as you got a year's worth of experience for Robert Fennessy. Uh, you got... Uh, you got Romeo Langford here to show Indiana players that, you know, that there's a path there, even if it wasn't a path to great success, it would, you know, there was, there was a path there and, and, and you built, you know, you started to build towards something special. And I, I think it's a very important off season for IU now. Uh, they've got, you know, they got to iron some things out. I don't think there's any question about that. And I don't know exactly what direction it'll take, but, uh, you know, I, I trust Arch, uh, as a coach, uh, you don't have, people think like you have all this success at Dayton and then you, you cross the state line, literally go like an hour and a half. And all of a sudden you lose everything that you knew about how to build a program and how to be successful. Life doesn't work like that. So with that said, what do you think is a fair expectation for his third season? And I know we have to see how the off season shakes out to see what the roster looks like, but just generally, what do you think is fair for IU fans to expect in his? Okay, I'll tell you what they sh what they should expect, what they should demand, and what he should demand is buy-in. Like you can't be looking out there on the floor and know who's not buying it. You can't. Next yeah. year it can't happen. That cannot be the case. Next year he can't look out on the floor and know that he's got guys not buying it. 
that, you know, he can't tolerate another year of that. He had Romeo for one year. It's a transitional year. It's only a second year. You had a shot at making the tournament. But next year, you got to have guys that are all the way in. And if they're not, then you can't tolerate it. Because if you do, then you're building a, a, you're allowing a specific culture to be built for you that isn't the one you intend and isn't the one that's going to take you and Indiana basketball where you where you want it to be and where Indiana fans believe it should be. It's a great point. A great point. All right, so let's turn our attention now to a couple of the teams that played this weekend, to Purdue and Michigan State, who played thrilling games. Obviously, one team won, one team didn't. I want to talk with you first about Purdue. And this kind of piggybacks on what you started talking about with them earlier. You know, you look at the last two seasons. They have fielded rosters with a total of two top 100 recruits, which is incredible. And they've finished fifth and ninth in Ken Palm. They've won 77% of their games. They shared a Big Ten title, made a Sweet 16, and an Elite Eight. My question for you is, is this the ceiling for Purdue basketball under Matt Painter or with his development as a coach and what I think was actually a perception-changing run that they just had because of the way they played and the offense and just the stage that it was on, could that raise the ceiling on what's possible moving forward for Purdue? Well, you know, I wouldn't expect necessarily um, all of a sudden them to be winning national championships or something. I wouldn't put it completely out of the realm of possibility, but I think it would take some good fortune. You know, a Biggie Swanigan, uh, you know, when they had Biggie, they were not positioned to be a Final Four national championship type team. Uh, they didn't have the point guard for it. They didn't have the outside offensive dynamism that they have now, the ability to explode on a team the way Carson did uh, over, the, over you know, each of the last two games. Uh, they, uh, each of the last three, I should say. Uh, they didn't have that then. Uh, so some of it has to be a little bit good fortune. I mean, if you look at at the types of players that they had a year ago, I mean, they could have made the Final Four uh, if they happened to be in another region. They could have played in the Elite Eight if, if Isaac Haas hadn't gotten injured. Uh, they could have won the national championship in 2010, I believe. I mean, they had Etwan Pro, Juwan Pro, Robbie Pro. They had enough there to win it if Robbie had been able to finish the year. And that was not a great year for, you know, the, the national champion, uh, Duke, was not a historically great team. They were a, they were an excellent team for that season. They won 35 games. I think they lost five, something like that. They weren't a historically great team. They, you know, there were four teams in 2015 that have would have won the championship in more than half of this season's, de this decade's seasons. Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, Duke, and Kentucky would have won the championship in more than half of this season's uh, the, the, the seasons we've had in this particular decade. And you know because it, but it's it seems as if we get teams like Robbie's team that year, or uh, Arizona in 2014 when Brandon Ashley got hurt, or Virginia in 2016 when uh, Justin Anderson got hurt. We've had a lot of years like that where there was maybe one or two, you know, teams that were above everybody else, potential wise and performance wise. And then it fell apart because of an injury that and Purdue is one of those teams. So you can't say that they can't win a championship. But again, you look at that year. I mean, he was right in his sweet spot. Um, he, he, you know, he got three great players, four great players to commit one, three of them stayed. Um, is that going to happen again? It's not been his MO since. It's not happened a lot since. At, 
But one of the things that he said in 2014, I think it was 2014, 15. Yeah. At, at Big Ten Media Day. One of the most, imp- I mean, I go to those media day things all the time, right? You, you've been there. And it's like, you know, it's fun to interact with people. But when the guys get up and talk, it's not a lot always that's said that's impactful. But I still remember him standing up there at media day in 2014 and saying, you know, I got away from recruiting Purdue guys. They had been five and 13, I think. I got away from pr- recruiting Purdue guys. It's not a school district. I go get the players, basically. and. I got the wrong guys and I'm not getting guys from now on who aren't Purdue guys. And look at what's happened since. I mean, I don't think they have, they had anybody transfer out, maybe one or two, not much. Um, the guys he's getting Dakota Mathias, Carson Edwards, uh, Isaac Haas, Matt Harms, they're not always, you know, universally respected or admired prospects, but all guys who have invested in what the culture is there and how they make you better, and how they maximize what you do. And so, you know, I, it, can they get into another sweet spot where they can get uh, a, a more a Hummel and a Johnson, and then can they carry those guys forward to a title? I would never put it out of the reach for them because he's too good a coach and the program is too solidly grounded. Uh, but I wouldn't say at the immediate future you look at it and say, okay, well, because they did this, they're going to now do that. I mean, now if Carson comes back next year, you'd have to say that it's it's plausible because they've got you know they'll they'll be really dynamic um, with Wheeler getting more time, uh, you know, with Harms in the front court. I would I would suspect that Travion Williams Williams will come back in even better shape because uh, it took a lot to get to this. And then if he has a great off season, I mean, he comes back with a great body. And, and, and with those hands and that passing ability, and there's a lot of possibility there. I don't think that without Carson, uh, there's necessarily enough juice there to, to be final four level, but, uh, they're going to be really good next year, regardless of whether they're that, you know, he's such a great athlete and such a good shooter. I think it's ludicrous that, you know, some people don't think he's an NBA player. Cause I think it's quite clear that he is with a floor of being, you know, kind of a microwave scorer off the bench right. and, and potentially more. Cause he, he can be a more efficient shooter than he was this year. He just had to take so many shots. Do you expect him back? Or do you think that, especially with this explosion that he just had, that the time is right for him to go? You know, I think it depends on what he wants to, to do, you know, I, because he's never going to be drafted in the first round. Uh, you're, they're not going to take a six foot six one shooting guard in the first round uh, who doesn't have point guard skills, even though, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say that because he does have point guard skills. He just isn't a point guard. I mean, it, they're not going to change him now. Um, he is what he is and he can pass the basketball. He's, he's got great passing skill. Uh, it's just, you know, it, he doesn't, he, what people don't understand. I mean, I had people, I wrote, about that performance on Saturday night and how amazing it was. And I pointed out that he had actually incredibly outperformed Steph Curry's 2008 run through the NCAA tournament. I think he scored 139 points in four games and Steph scored 128. Now uh, he had the advantage as a three seed of an easy early game, but he actually played his best against the three good teams. You know, Villanova, Big East champion, uh, played uh, phenomenally well. I think he had 42 in that one. Then the Tennessee game, he had 29. Uh, Tennessee was uh, number one for a part of this year. And then against the ACC champion, Virginia, he goes 42 again. Um, and people are like, well, but he didn't have any assists. I mean, 
Like, do you understand, first of all, how Virginia defends that getting an assist, you know, maybe he makes a pass to somebody for an open three, maybe, but they're not letting you get assists. And he wasn't in positions to get assists. He was scoring because he was so far out that they, that they had a hard time guarding him out there. That's why he was scoring. So he wasn't going to get assists. The only way they were making baskets was him putting it over the defense. They, they completely shut off Ryan Klein. He wasn't getting into the positions to get shut off. If he'd gone closer, they'd have, they'd have doubled him, trapped him, made him give up the ball. And then he wouldn't have scored 42. He is a tremendous, tremendous player. Uh, he had a rough February for whatever reason, lost his, lost his eye, lost his touch, whatever you want to call it, um, and probably lost his chance to be a first-team All-American as a result of that. But he still belonged where he, you know, where he was second or third team, and I know he's gotten some recognition along those lines. And he he delivered an NCAA tournament performance that belongs with in the conversation with Steph Curry and uh, Austin Carr and all those other players who did incredible things in the tournament. Uh, he, 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 he Glenn Rice. Now the difference with Glenn Rice was Glenn got to go on and do two more games and win it, um, and them you know missing the free throw at the end. Uh, not you know not uh, handling the uh, scramble on the la- on that free missed free throw at the other end well cost him a chance to do that but uh, I you know I I have no doubt he's a pro uh, I, I expect him to see him in the league and what you know it's really just up to him I expect I I, I, I let me put it this way I suspect he will go but uh, it'd be really cool to see him again for another year try to you know try to take a shot at doing this again I, you you only do it you know you don't do it because I want to make a final four necessarily because then you spend the whole year and then something like that happens and it's like a wasted year. You can't do it for that reason. You got to do it because you, there's something more you want to get out of this, whatever it might be another year with the guys, you know, another year of improvement, whatever it is. Uh, But if he leaves now, he certainly has made his contribution to Purdue basketball history. Yes, he certainly has. So Michigan state, the Spartans have not lost since Indiana beat them in March. Nine victories, eight of them against top 50 teams, only three of them within 10 points. I mean, they have really turned things around, culminating with that win against Duke. What changed for them after that day in Bloomington? Well, I, you know, I think what, really what changed for them was the injury that happened to Nick Ward in, um, back in, you go back to the Ohio State game, and that forced them to change their identity. and. Xavier Tillman coming into the lineup made them a dramatically better defensive team uh, because Xavier, I mean, Xavier was enormous yesterday in dealing with the most defensive, most difficult defensive matchup he'll probably ever have in his college career uh, going against Zion Williamson and and what all that represents. Uh, Nick Ward went in there and Nick did battle. and, And I thought that for the first time that I can remember since his injury and since his return, it was really the first time that I thought he was fully all into what they needed from him. He wasn't able to deliver it all. He didn't shoot the basketball well from the post, but he was out there to do what he was asked to do for the first time. And, and I, I, I suspect that he'll do the same now that they're in the final four. Cause this, you know, it, it, this isn't about you anymore now. I mean, it's about the name on the Jersey, so to speak. Uh, it, it, so I, he, he bought into that and, I think that makes them a better team because if you've got him coming off the bench and running and pounding in the post and using his big body and you do, he does all that. And Xavier Tillman's out there 
you know, guarding ball screens in the way that Nick couldn't and moving his feet in the post the way that Nick couldn't. And also, honestly, offensively, I mean, he's been shockingly good. I don't think anybody knew he had this in him. Now, he doesn't really have a low post game in the way that Nick does, but he can make a shot. He's shown that over and over again. He's really good at getting the ball off the offensive glass and putting it back in efficiently. That's more of a skill than people realize. A lot of guys can get the ball off the glass and then eat it on the way back up. Watch Kentucky yesterday. Happened to them way too much. Uh, but he's been really good about getting the ball off the glass and making sure he gets it back home, you know, with the pump fake or with the, you know, the quick step to the opposite side, whatever it might be to, to disarm the defense. That's what's made them different and better. Uh, I think that Indiana played great in the in the second game. They played with desperation. They play and, and they had a great home court advantage. And I think that all of that came down to uh to making a difference. And I think one more thing was, you know, I think that a lot had built up on Cassius Winston fatigue-wise at that point in the season. And although his minutes have been not, have been about the same, especially in the tournament, you know how it goes in the Jared in the tournament, you know, 20-minute halftime, three-minute, two and a half, three-minute commercial breaks. You it's it's not as draining. The 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 atmosphere, the stakes, it, you, they can overwhelm you. But the physicality of playing 40 minutes is not as tough. Uh, and sometimes that gets coaches into trouble. Because uh, I thought, for instance, John Calipari played Reed Travis too much in the uh, in the game against Auburn. thought that they, there were times when they needed a different look. And because he knew he could ride Reed, he went with it. Uh, but with Cassius, there's never a time when they're better with him off the floor. So him being able to be out there now and not get as tired is a big difference maker. He's an amazing player. He's one of my favorite non-IU players that I can remember to watch. And someone on the broadcast described him as a wizard, and I thought that was the perfect description for how he plays point guard offensively. He's just he's a wizard. He sees things that I don't know how he sees, and he's an incredible shot maker. I mean, he's got the entire package offensively. I'm disappointed, really, in the... Uh, the announcers on the on you know on the network because no one's buying no no one's picking up on the pearl on the pearl Monroe uh, comparison. I mean that and like he's not pearl I and mean, pearl was bigger and and more dynamic, but but he's got that game. I mean that's it's exactly what it looked like. I'm telling you that yeah. you know the close in control of the ball, the ability to go to either side, uh, you know that pull up floater, all that stuff. That was pearl over and over again. I. I I've, n- I've not gotten the chance to ask Cash whether he's ever watched um, Pearl's films or old tapes or whatever. But I, I, that's something I got to make a mental note to do when I get to Minneapolis and get a little time with him uh, and see if that's something that, uh, you know, if that's how he got to his game. Because it because you you haven't seen many, pl- you know, it's been, gosh, Pearl was 45 years ago-ish, you know, 40 to 45 years ago. Uh, there haven't been many players in those four decades, those five decades that have had a game like that. Yeah. Well, one last question for you. This was submitted by Matt, and I thought that you might have some insight on it. He said, the talk radio hosts after Michigan State wiped out Duke all began lamenting that the remaining teams will not bring ratings for the Final Four, which is true, uh, that, that that was what was being lamented, even though I think this Final Four shapes up to be so much fun. So Matt's questions, one, 
aren't those ad spots already sold and the broadcasting package already paid for? So why would the NCAA care at this point? And two, aren't the broadcasters themselves responsible for the upcoming quote-unquote poor ratings because they have only been pumping up one team and specifically one layer for the last few months? Well, you know, I I, I, I got a lot of pushback on some things I've written for, on Zion. Um, and, you know, I... I, the guy was a phenomenal player. It was, he was, he was certainly a once in a generation college player. And it was just yeah. to say he was the greatest. Um, but he's been, he's the best college player we've seen this decade. I, I had Kentucky fans tell me Anthony Davis, but Anthony Davis was magical. He was wonderful and he won them a championship. There's no question about that. Uh, he was the guy. Uh, and he's the, he was the reason they won it, the biggest reason, but he wasn't the only reason. And Zion certainly isn't the only reason they lost yesterday. He isn't basically any of the reason that they lost yesterday. Uh, he's, I guess maybe some of it because he did turn the ball over five times. But uh, he was phenomenal in a lot of ways. He changed that game so often. You saw Michigan State how often they started to look around to see where he is when they got the ball adjacent to the goal. It became a real challenge for them. And you saw him, you know, even on an open three-pointer, close out and knock the ball uh, away on a, on a ridiculous block. I, you know, I, I don't pay much attention to networks other than the one for which I work. And so I don't, I don't get bothered by overhype. You know, I, I didn't feel like the hype for first, I, first of all, I didn't feel like the hype for Zion was unjustified. He was that good, is that good. And second of all, I didn't feel like it was as in my face as what happened with Trey Young a year ago when they started putting graphics on the screen, telling you how many points he had in any second. And then they started putting those graphics on games that he wasn't playing in. You know, that was a bit much. I didn't feel like that this year. So look, Zion drew people because he was unique. And I don't know what the audience will be like for this weekend's games and next Monday's game, but I know that people who love college basketball will be watching. It's really what matters to me. Uh, in the end, you know, for TBS and and Turner and and for CBS, they need people to watch because it helps them uh, sell ad time for the next one. And certainly, their ratings would have been enormous if Zion were in there on mon- on Monday uh, or on Saturday. Uh, I I, th- I think for for now on, people can shut down the whole. Well, look what they do for teams that they want to have ratings. I mean, clearly they you know it wasn't that that wide a margin that they couldn't have found a way if that was really what they were trying to do to get Duke in. They only lost by one point. Uh, so if they were really trying, I think they could have got them another couple points. They weren't. That's Some not- people might suggest they just didn't want to do it three games in a row. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, they, like, they, they wouldn't want to do it now that the stage is the biggest it's going to be. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he they they didn't quite have enough there. They weren't a good enough outside shooting team. Cam Reddish, you know, Cam Reddish for me has always been, um, you know, a, a acquired taste. I guess uh, I I I've never you know when I saw him as a prospect, I did not like his compete level. I think that Mike and his staff did the best they could to get the most out of him, but uh, I didn't. I don't love him as a player. I, I, you know, I, I, lo- I really liked RJ. I didn't love his season either. I thought you saw a good bit of what was wrong with Duke when Zion was out and they were three and three without him. 
So, you know, I, people trying to say, because they don't like Kay, that uh, this is a massive failure and he had all the best players. Let's relax. He had the best college basketball player of the last decade, didn't win it. Um, but it's, it's not the first time we've had a player of the year didn't win a tournament. I mean, it's, it's more rare when he does. So um, I, 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 I don't worry about the NCAA. They still get their check. Uh, I don't worry about CBS or Turner. I think they're invested in this uh, and they're, and they're going to be there for the next 14 years, I think something like that, maybe even longer. So in the end, I think it'll all work itself out. And you know, there may not be the greatest television draws in Texas tech and Auburn, for instance. Uh, but you've got four great teams there and they, I expect to, to have three really competitive games. And, and I think in the end that that will draw a lot of sports fans. I agree. By the way, uh, Kurt in the chat, his wife is in advertising. He said viewer ratings have to deliver or else the network will have to deliver free spots in other events. And it's also it's not as much about what was already sold. But as you mentioned, Mike, negotiating spots in the future, uh, you know, aired by the same network based on based on what ratings they get. So that's that's kind of the answer to that question. And, uh, you know, on you're right, like Texas Tech and Auburn may, might not draw in a lot of the casual fans. But my goodness, are they interesting basketball teams with just the way that they play and the styles that we're going to get to see this weekend. I can't wait. Last question for you. What? Who's your pick? I mean, this unlikely Final Four, who do you think is going to be the last one standing in the end? Well, I had Duke uh, coming into the tournament. Uh, the only final, you know, it's funny. I had 15 out of 16. I had six out of eight, but I only have one out of four. Uh I thought I thought Kentucky would would get through. I thought uh, obviously Duke would get through. I thought Gonzaga. Actually, I, out of that one, I had Michigan, and Michigan didn't make the regional final. So I, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna go with Michigan State. I think that I think they're the best team left when they play their best, and they certainly did on Sunday. Uh, they especially in the second half, they were phenomenal. I think early in the game, Michigan State looked a little bit like they were that like that moment that I talked about was a little big for them. But the second half, it was like, they looked like they were playing, uh, they were playing in the Maui Invitational. You know, that it was just a game that, you know, three months from now, they'd either get a quality win or they wouldn't. And they, and they played like they wanted that quality win. The, 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 the layup McQuaid made was ridiculous. The shot that Kenny Goins made. Those were two guys that early in the first 10 minutes or so did not look like themselves. But by the end of the game, they were the best versions of themselves. And, uh, if they can do that again in the next two, I think they can win it all. Well, Mike, thank you for being here every week. We've really appreciated these spots. And uh, obviously, we're going to take a hiatus for the offseason. Exhale, relax a little bit, and you know, see see what the Hoosiers do this offseason. But hopefully, we can pick this up again next season. And I know everybody's really appreciated your insight. I've gotten tons of positive comments about you know loving your segment. So on behalf of everybody who listens to the show, thanks for being here with us and kind of helping us navigate this season and giving us insight on the team and the rest of the Big Ten. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm very happy to hear that uh, that Banner Monday fans have have been appreciative. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I I want people to be happy with uh, you know with the analysis, so I'm I'm glad that uh, it was worth the time. And now we look forward to hopefully, you know, analyzing a season that's a little bit more successful and lasts a little bit longer. Uh, we'll see how we'll, it goes. <laughs> we'll we'll hope for that next year. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. All right. The great Mike DeCourcy with us here every Monday on Banner Monday this season. And as we put our schedule together for next year, we will obviously hope to be able to do that again. 
Look, usually our next segment is all about previewing the upcoming opponent. There is no upcoming opponent, so that means there is no next segment. But uh, look, this isn't goodbye because we're going to talk to you again on Thursday and keep doing the regular Thursday uh, shows. But I do want to mention to everybody who is here live and who has been here live all season long, thank you. It always it makes doing these shows a lot more fun, a lot more rewarding when there are people in the chat interacting you know, when you can call me out on mistakes that I make or add, you know, comments or questions that, you know, that I can bring up on the air that, that add additional context to what we're talking about. Um, and it just, it really shows how much doing these shows mean to you all to see so many people show up live. And I know that not everybody can show up live. So those of you listening on the podcast as well, um, you know, look, we love talking IU basketball, no question about it, but, you know, we really love creating this content for you and really appreciate all of the, appreciation that, that you send back our way. So thank you for that. We really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, certainly not goodbye. We will keep doing, we're not going to do any more banner mornings, no more banner Mondays during the off season. Um, but we will of course continue to do our shows every Thursday night live and posting the podcast after that. And it's going to be a long, interesting, busy off season. And we look forward to going through it all with you. And by the way, if you're listening on the podcast, if you haven't had a chance to check out our community, which is where we get all of our questions for the mailbags, definitely check that out. If you go to assemblycall.com slash community, you'll find the details for that. That is kind of the place where we'll continue to have ongoing daily conversation about the Hoosiers and then Thursday nights do our regular show. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of Banner Monday. If you want to see us broadcast live throughout the off season and be part of the live chat, Join us at assemblycall.com for our weekly assembly call radio broadcast on Thursday nights. And you can always, of course, subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assembly call or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which we will continue doing into the off season with the six banner Sunday news roundups. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again on Thursday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Real estate agents have the power to adjust their client's approval letter amount in real time using Rocket Pro Insight. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. MLS ConsumerAccess.org number 3030.